Hello and welcome to the My VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk with veterans in the Western Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Lease, your host with co-host Greg Tucker. We have with us today an Air Force veteran from the Dayton area, Dr. Mark Smith. Great to have you with us today, Dr. Mark. Thank you. Mark is a retired tenured professor of biology. He continues teaching as an adjunct role at Sinclair Community College, Sinclair Community College, Dayton, Ohio, where he also taught management and supervision. He has also been an associate professor at Central Michigan and Embry-Riddle Universities. On 1 November in 92, he retired as a technical sergeant from Wright-Pat Air Force Base after 20 years of honorable service in the United States Air Force. Again, welcome, Mark. Glad to be here. And we are thrilled to have you with us today. Uh, Before we get to know a little bit more about you, we're going to put you to the test. That's right, it's time to play Don't Tell Me, I Think I Know That. This is the game where we put our guests to the test of their knowledge of military trivia. It's also a game where our listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired in mounds of military minutia like ours are. Are you ready to take the challenge? I think so. I think you are too. Uh, So since you are a college professor and an Air Force veteran, we have tailored these questions especially for you. So, yes, it's time to see if we can stump the professor. Uh, So here's your first question, Professor. How long does the Air Force military basic training last? Would it be A, eight days, B, eight weeks, C, eight months, or D, a lifetime? I would pick B. However, when I went through basic training, it was only six weeks. Only six weeks? Well, yes, it's actually the answer is B, eight weeks. So great answer. Air Force Basic Military Training is located in San Antonio, Texas, and lasts eight weeks. And it is uh, what young recruits would expect from a boot camp setting. Uh, They, of course, are tested on physical and combat training to determine if they have what it takes for a military lifestyle. Once they complete Air Force Basic Military Training, it is time to prepare for Air Force Tech School. And so here is your second question. How long is tech school in the Air Force? Would it be A, a week, B, a couple of months, C, a couple of years, or D, a lifetime? I'm going to pick B because of the different uh, lengths of time for the tech school depending upon your AFSC. That is right. It actually uh, depends on the AFSC, so B is the closest answer. Good job. Uh, Yes, the length of an Air Force tech school depends on the specialty code or military job. Therefore, tech school in the Air Force can last anywhere from 6 to 72 weeks. After a complete series of known as Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, or ASVAB, uh, recruits uh, know what Air Force jobs they qualify for in the military branch. Now, here's your third and final question. This is for all the money. How many students graduate annually from Community College of the Air Force? And we ask this because you are a graduate of the Community College of the Air Force, correct? Yes, I am. So would it be 200 annually, 2,000 annually, 
22,000 annually or 222,000 annually? Annually, I'm going to say C, 22,000. That is correct. It's estimated that approximately 22,000 graduates uh, come from the Community College of the Air Force. This makes the CCAF the world's largest community college system. The CCAF annually awards over 22,000 associate degrees from 71 degree programs. Since it awarded its first degree in 1976, the CCAF has issued more than 1 million transcripts, and they have awarded more than 553,000 associates degrees. So, Greg, what has Dr. Mark won for playing our game today? Well, Dr. Mark, you have won a set of VA Industrial Strength Chip Clips designed by NASA's Aerospace Engineers to keep your chips crisp on your next stellar space journey or wherever you may be traveling in the near future. All compliments of the Dayton VA. And we'll be taking a quick break now. When we come back, we'll hear more from Air Force veteran Mark Smith. My name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz. Jerry Reed. Kate Weber. These are real veterans facing a real challenge. I have PTSD. And I have PTSD. I have PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone. I was still in a war zone in my mind. But treatment can turn your life around. Treatment has really saved my life. To learn about PTSD and how treatment can help you, call your local VA medical center or visit ptsd.va.gov. The Dayton VA changed my life. There was a time I was jobless and homeless, didn't know where to turn for help. I felt like there was no hope for me. Then I learned about the Dayton VA. They helped me find the help I needed to get back on track. I received support, got a job, found a place to live. I got my life back. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. To enroll, call 937-268-6511, extension 5336, or visit dayton.va.gov. And we're back with Dr. Mark Smith, a professor of biology and Air Force veteran. So, Mark, you started your education while on active duty in the Air Force, attaining your associate's degree in cytotechnology, correct? I did. So, and that was through the Community College of the Air Force. Tell us what led you to a pursuit uh, in higher education while you were When I went into the Air Force, first of all, I come from a large family, and most of the people in my family, the men, had been veterans. And as a young boy growing up in Painesville, Ohio, after leaving Pittsburgh, I am a Steelers fan, of course. Of course you are. <laughs> and I thought that the military was a rite of passage and that I just knew I was going to be going in just like all of my cousins, my uncles before me. And so I did not know any other way. College was not a, even an option that was talked about in the 1960s. And so um, when I, my, my parents didn't have, they had love, they had uh, clothes and shelter, but they had little of nothing else to give me. And so as a result of that, I thought the best thing for me to do was to go join the Air Force because I knew that whatever I was going to get was not going to come from my parents. Upon joining the Air Force, um, I learned, of course, went through basic training, went through tech school. And then when I got to my first duty station was at Forbes Air Force Base in Topeka, Kansas in 1973. 
Forbes didn't last long. We closed the base, and I went to MacDill Air Force Base. When I got to MacDill Air Force Base, I did not even have a high school diploma because I quit school in uh, 1972 because of the, the drug scene that was going on. If you remember that, there was uh, the Vietnam War, the protests, and school, high school was just not where my focus should have been, nor was it. And as a result of that, I got to MacDill Air Force Base, and uh, Charles Davis was a deacon in the College Hill Church of God in Christ that I joined, who during Sunday school told me, oh, boys, shut up and sit down. You need to go back <laughs> to, to school and learn something. And I was so embarrassed that I accepted his challenge. I went to St. Leo uh, University down there, took two classes, got uh, felt really good about that. Got transferred to Insulik in Turkey, took about nine, ten classes over that two-year period um, at the University of Maryland. And then I came to write Pat uh, 45 and a half years ago. I was smitten with the fact that I wasn't big enough to be an NBA a baller or, or a baseball player, even though I was a decent athlete, played 20 years in the Air Force. But the one thing that did challenge me was the books. And as a result of that, I just kept on going and, and I, I started accumulating the success of the A's and the B's. And my family uh, was there and they saw that my my ex-wife became a registered nurse through Sinclair. Um, and um, our whole family then, all of my, both of my children, and the, um, both of my children have their graduate degrees. And for that, I'm very thankful. But as, on a personal note, I, um, I was an administrative specialist, the 702, when I started. Then when I... Uh, came to write Pat, my mother-in-law had died of breast cancer at an age of 51 years old in 1976 of May. I had just made up in my mind after four years I was going to get, get out of the Air Force, but when she died, I went back and Sergeant Castile at Insulet met me at CBPO and I said, hey, I need to re-enlist. And he said, uh, you've given up your CJR. And I looked him square in the eye with almost tears in my eyes. I said, I need to reenlist. Three days later, he called me back, and I became a, um, a 274, which was a command post controller. And during that four years that I was in the uh, command post, I continued to go to school uh, at Wright State University because of the one thing that allowed that, and that was the tuition assistance program that was within the education office. They paid 90% for me to go to school. Mm -hmm. Classes were only $83 a, a credit hour. And I just went and went. And I think that they, that I am the reason that the Air Force changed the program so that you only get, <laughs> so you only get uh, $2,500 a year or something like that. Bank, because I, I, okay. listen, I, I was in school every semester, well, it was quarters back then, every quarter, two classes at a time. And I did that for the remaining 16 years I was in the Air Force. And, and uh, I wanted to be a nurse. Uh, my Uncle Leroy was a nurse. My Aunt Bill was a nurse. These were role models in my life. 
But um, I came up for an assignment in 1980 to go to Germany. I loved Dayton so much. I didn't want to go. And I was not close to finishing my nursing degree through the uh, bootstrap program. And I got a call saying that I might be a good candidate to become a cytologist. So um, we went over to personnel. I was one of the few people that were able to cross train out of the highly demanded command post. I went to Miami Valley uh, School of Cytotechnology through the University of Dayton. I finished there and now, you know, I'm really feeling good about myself. I can do this. I then um, decided to go, wanted to become a physician, did my pre-med studies over at uh, Wright State University all the time, playing basketball, raising a family. And I then went to Central Michigan University and got my master's in uh, organizational administration. And uh, I got a bachelor's degree in social psychology from Park University. And then um, you can just see the hands of the good Lord leading you. I retired and in 1992, uh, Sinclair Community College, to their credit, just 30 years ago, you would not think that the faculty was not diversified. It was a pretty white institution with um, the majority culture in the command positions of professors. And I was asked uh, by uh, Dr. Dr. Barr, Dr. Sifflin, and Dr. Ponitz, as well as uh, Dr. Rabb, would I consider coming into what is known as the Grow Your Own program. It's called Grow Our Own program. And they asked me, to become a, a biologist? I said, uh, well, sure, w where do I sign? They paid for my, um, my education. They but why a biologist? Uh, that was very close to what, um, what, my, what my credits in pre-med were all about. I grew up in Painesville, as I told you, and I spent an inordinate inordinate amount of time outside hunting and, and fishing. I liked uh, killing things. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but um, I would shoot birds and I would always dig inside to see what was there. My father was a hunter. I loved watching him clean squirrels and rabbits and watching them eat. And it was, he used to like the fish. I couldn't stand fishing, but I loved cleaning the fish, you know? So, um, I was always in the woods with the dog, and and it just uh, continued. And as I so, got so even being out in nature, you still had that interest for for medical profession. Mm -hmm. Well, again, my role models, Uncle Leroy and Aunt Viv, they were as a, as a as a minority person. We didn't have a whole lot of money, but they seemed to have the money. And healthcare was was uh, they they told me healthcare was attainable. So after I get to uh, Sinclair, um, I finish my master's at Wright State um, with you know a 3.8 average. Only got one C from Dr. Maria Gonzalez. <laughs> she was rough on me. We were up at uh, Cowan, I mean uh, at uh, Indian Lake there, and but 
I finished with a concentration in cell biology and um, aquatic uh, biology and wanting to uh, fulfill the dream of being a doctor. I went to the University of Dayton and uh, you know, basically uh, fulfilled the, the doctorate level thinking that I was going to you know, want to be a dean or a chair with these leadership skills coupled with the Air Force career but I did not realize how um, challenging or politically motivated, not necessarily politically, you, you've got to be within the administration, you've got to have a proven track record, you've got to have a sponsor. I didn't have that. But what happened as a result of um, my PhD is I was able to um, edit hundreds of texts, well, not hundreds, but certainly at least a hundred textbooks I have edited throughout my career with the publishers, showing them the sexist language as well as the racist language that was embedded within the curriculum. And then um, I have, by teaching at Central Michigan, I taught, uh, I'm thinking of James Byrd. You probably know who he is from um, the Dayton VA. He was yes. one of my uh, students in Central Michigan's um, uh, or organizational leadership master's program. And I was very tough on that class because I wanted them to learn the APA way of writing in research. And, um, and he, 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 he still thanks me when I see him. He said, man, you were rough on me. And... Uh, <clears throat> But I'm so proud of James and what he has done. And then finally, uh, I'm currently um, on a dissertation uh, committee for one of my colleagues at uh, Sinclair. And he is not very, uh, he, he may be a little happier now that I've showed him the proper way in which to write that dissertation. Yeah. But man, the University of Dayton, to their credit, uh, really uh, beat me up. And so uh, I have been able to um, enjoy education by helping others uh, get through my my own uh, with my expertise and, yeah, and my and, pain. Sorry. And so, yeah, you retired uh, as a as a professor of biology, but you still continue to um, to teach, and you're and you're actually um, working on teaching management uh, supervision. I'm not right now. I am. I'm doing biology right now. Oh, you are. You're back and, in biology, and and the reason for that is because. Well, uh, tell us a little bit first of all mm -hmm. why you went into uh, teaching about management supervision. Well, that was what my degree was from Central Michigan. That was what my bachelor's degree was: social psychology, which is a great lead into organizational leadership. In and so I was um, qualified, if you will, to teach that. Um, but I was hired as a biologist, so I had a dual track. And while I was at the University of Dayton, shout out to Ned Young, who was the chair of the management supervision department at um, Sinclair. He allowed me to um, teach and hone my um, leadership and management skills through his department while I was also teaching in the um, biology department. Listening to how you uh, you started out, because in the 
African-American community, a lot of times it's the focus is on sports and on entertainment. But when you mentioned that you started, instead of hitting the jump shot, you hit an A and a B. And it just seemed like it just turned your world totally around. And then looking at role models as far as in the healthcare field, that created a whole new world for you. Is that something that, that you try to instill for us with young people that you come in contact with in Sinclair? Or? I was out in uh, Crater Lake in Oregon, and I was going down into the lake through a National Science Foundation class. And there was a gentleman that was very sick. He had had a liver transplant. He was walking out. And I, I helped him out. And he asked me, he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a cheerleader. He looked at me like, what? I said, I'm a cheerleader. And so we get to the top. He's out of breath. And he said, what do you mean by that? I said, so to answer your question, I, I try to encourage people to go well beyond what they've ever thought that they could do because that is exactly what happened to me. Now, I want to kind of hijack this part and tell you something else in that my father um, a, uh, was, had an eighth grade education. He was a laborer. Okay. And one of the things coming from the South, Louisiana, being coming up during the war, landing in Akron. And one of the things that he struggled with was the Jim Crow era um, uh, oppression. And he began to drink quite heavily and um, he was an alcoholic and a, an abusive alcoholic to my mother, which has scarred me. And one of the things that right now that I, in, in answering your question, we know that there is a lot of uh, untalked about abuse uh, of domestic violence. And um, my dear friend, who is the uh, clinical coordinator at the Artemis Center, has really enlightened me to this, this epidemic that is within our society that is very silent. And so one of the things that you talked about encouraging people. One of the things I would love to see and what I think that the VA is very aware of is the fact that if you can challenge that negativity into education um, I or into um, to the love of the Lord in your life, but mostly education, I believe that you can become enlightened to the fact that there's other ways to deal with problems other than physical violence. And so for the last 30 years, I have, um, I have been an advocate for that. And my mantra that I believe the good Lord gave to me during my career that I still believe is that it is, quote, an education will change the way you think, unquote. And that has been my... Um, my mantra since I started teaching, and yes, I try to tell uh, young people, and I want to work with the Dayton Public Schools to try to tell them, I didn't mean to pick on them, but, but of all of the participant participation at Sinclair, the Dayton Public Schools have the lowest, 
but it's throughout the 17 county region that you spoke of, Scott. Um, there is a lot of encouragement that needs to be um, uh, given to young people because I'm telling you, it wasn't just, it was all of these schools, Oakwood, Centerville, Northmont, Huber Heights. Sinclair would always <clears throat> catch them the year after they failed partying at the universities. And so I believe that Sinclair is a place of second chances. I believe that I've gotten a second, third, fourth, and fifth chance. And, and um, I continue to try to, uh, to encourage young people to you know, take their education seriously because it will benefit not only them, but their unborn children and their future. So the Dayton VA is, gives excellent care. They have um, the VSOs, the veteran service officers, to help veterans file for a claim. But I want veterans to know that if you're a disabled veteran, the, the state of Ohio has a program that your children, if you're over, I think it's 50% disabled, that your children can go to a college for free. This uh, program, um, disabled veterans' children under the age of 23, if they are over 50 or 60, I'm not sure about that, but what I am sure is that disabled veterans' dependent children can go to school at a public university within the state of Ohio free, you heard me right, free, except for room and board, okay, through the Ohio War Orphans Scholarship Program. And I would encourage uh, anybody on the sound of my voice who may be eligible for that program or their children to, again, utilize the funding that's available um, because uh, if you don't use it, you're actually leaving um, quite a program of this significance on the table. And as Scott said, uh, sign up at the VA just because you're a veteran to help fund the organization so that these congressmen who have not served and who then give, allocate money to the veterans can allocate that money based upon your service because, again, I thank you for doing what I did and what these gentlemen in this room did, and that is to defend our country. Those are some very inspirational words, and uh, greatly appreciate that. But I also want to go back and touch on what you talked about with intimate partner violence. Uh, you know, the VA actually is working very hard to work with veterans uh, who who suffer, and, and family members as well, who suffer from that, that situation. And we want to let, our, let all our listeners know that if they ever uh, in, um, happen to know of a situation, need some help, or know someone who needs some help, do not hesitate to turn to the VA. Uh, we have those services available to, to help our veterans. Uh, but um, speaking of helping veterans, you know, while you were in the Air Force, um, I, I understood that you developed in and uh, monitored a financial budget and uh, supporting management strategies for uh, adversely impacted airmen. How did that come about? Well, again, my um, my a master's degree um, was in organizational administration, where in business courses, um, 
you you learn that. And so um, family services at Wright Pat um, knew of my I was what I was doing with hospital airmen and then I went over there and volunteered. And so what I would do was, um, you know, when you first get in the military, you're not making any money. And then for some reason you think that's enough money and then you've got a family and a wife and you've got a car and I've been there, okay? And so um, setting up a budget, getting um, airmen um, on a budget, trying to get them out of debt, trying to, you know, let them concentrate on not only their skill set, but their their future by going to school and managing their money. One of the things that, that I learned about, I learned very uh, hard in my life was that um, mismanagement of money is a lead into uh, a marital discord and can even, you know, morph into domestic violence. But, um, and that's what I, I tried to do. I tried. I showed many young veteran, young veterans, young airmen, um, how to manage their money, and that's a hard thing for uh, people to admit that they um, struggle with um, uh, financial issues. I don't want to tell anybody, but I I was able to um, help a lot of people, and I still do. Um, I I remember. Uh, I. The board of directors at the, uh, I wanted to be on the board of directors at the Wright Pack Credit Union. I was not selected, but because of my, you know, business acumen and financial literacy, I, uh, I really wanted to do that. But I'm sure that they uh, have um, capable people uh, dealing in that position. So I don't know if I answered your question, but oh, I hope you sure I did. did. I think we got that. Uh, so. We're going to take another quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll hear more from Dr. Mark Smith about his experience with the Dayton VA Medical Center. I never needed the VA for anything until I found it difficult on my own. It was getting hard to take care of myself. Then I had a fall, which made it impossible. That's when the Dayton VA stepped up to the plate. I've had the best care anyone could ask for at the Community Living Center. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. To enroll, call 937-268-6511, extension 5336, or visit dayton.va.gov. Hope, where are you hiding? I search for you in the seconds, the minutes of each and every day. Hear me as I call out to you. Take my hand. Lift me up as I lift up others. Welcome me home, father, mother, sister, brother, son, daughter. Hear us now. Alone we stood, divided we fell. No longer. We choose to make the connection. Our new mission lies within. Visit maketheconnection.net to learn more. And we're back with Air Force veteran Dr. Mark Smith. And Dr. Smith, if I could ask you uh, something 
regarding the transition from the military life into the civilian sector uh, and how your experiences they transferred over you know um, when you work in a hospital you are dealing with people and you you're dealing with um, retirees as well as active duty as well as dependents and that's what I saw I mean I uh, be it wasn't the rigid structure that that the operational side of the Air Force uh, uh, deals with um, and so if you ever watched MASH, it's really close to that, where the ranks are kind of blurred, but they're still there. But you have a respect for your, your supervisors, your peers, but you also know that those people working in that hospital have a, com a command of their specialty skills like no other. As a result of that, um, I, I had a part-time job off, off base reading, reading pap smears and doing uh, uh, bronchial uh, washings and diagnosing cancer all the way down to Cincinnati. Had an apartment on the weekend that they, they kept. I made a lot of money. So I was, all, for the last 12 years of my career, which I was a cytologist, I was uh, in and out of, of civilian hospitals. The only thing that I did uh, in the Air Force when I came back to write Pat was to put on the uniform. And so uh, the transition that uh, I often hear uh, amongst um, other military service members was seamless for me. I went um, from interacting at various hospitals as a professional licensed cytologist to um, becoming a professor at Sinclair, and I, you know, that I retired on one November. But before I retired, I, my first course I ever taught was 15 June 1992, which was six months before I retired. So I was, I was, I was there. It so you was, had a very seamless transition from um, military to civilian life. It was. So yeah. was it that seamless with healthcare? Um, you had been in the military, you're getting that uh, tremendous health care that all active duty people get. Did you have that transition uh, when you left the military? You know, now, to, to a friend of mine, a very dear friend of mine, Yvonne Odom, who worked in the flight surgeon's office, um, I remember when I got ready to get out of the military, out of the Air Force. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm sad about it at the same time. But she told me to uh, um, go to the VA to have a, a, a workup. She, she went through my records and she identified things that I just thought were nothing. My knee, I had four <laughs> surgeries. And you know, when you, I was 37, it was nothing wrong with me. She said, no. We're going to document this. Oh, well, I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm, 30, I'm 30 years out. Man, my knee, I got to go to the, uh, the podiatrist in October. My toes jacked up. My shoulders jacked up. All of those athletic injuries that, I, I, that occurred to me in PT while I was in the Air Force um, um, have been documented and, 
and as you can um, ascertain, I am a disabled veteran. But I want you to know that from active duty at Wright-Patterson to the Dayton VA and having health care insurance through Sinclair, Anthem, Blue Cross, and Blue Shield, I, I made some serious mistakes. And one of the mistakes I made was, and you got, I, I got to give you a quick history, that my father, who was in the, Air, who was in the Army, told my mother as I was growing up, don't take me to the VA. Whatever happens, don't take me there. And so, you know, that's a 50-year um, um, imprint on your brain. Well, I went downtown. I'd, I'd go to the VA for my uh, primary care and, my, and you know, some, some uh, medicines. But I know that this Dayton VA, and I'm not kidding when I tell you this, because I got friends in California, Arizona, Norfolk. Their level of care is nothing like we have here. And um, I know there's some naysayers out there, but I have the only issue that I ever had with the Dayton VA was I used to get my teeth cleaned up there, <laughs> okay? But because we're not 100% disabled, that service has been taken away from us. But other than that, um, the appointments that I need are available to me. The, the doctors are, are, are first class. My problem, again, with the blue team is that after um, Dr. Kim left, I've had like three or four different doctors that just can't seem to keep up. I had one named Dr. Smith. I had one named Dr. Bonanno. He was cool, and they're gone, you know. So, so, uh, but they but they are ex they were excellent healthcare providers, and uh, I, I love the, the the VA. I like going out there and and. The, the physical, uh, the kinesiology department um, really helped me get my knee together. And uh, I, the care out there is phenomenal. Yeah. So you talk about the transition of physicians for you. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, that, that is frustrating. You get a doc, you get close to them. They know you, you mm -hmm. know them. Uh, but i got to ask, has the transition been good? I mean, it, no, no one wants to have to go through change. Between doctors? Yeah. Or yeah. Even though I, d I don't have my favorite doctors anymore. Exactly. Uh, yes. They, the people that come in, they're, they're, again, if we look at healthcare in the Air Force, if we look at civilian healthcare, if we look at VA healthcare, these physicians are, and, and healthcare providers, the nurses, the technicians, um, they are seamless in their professionalism throughout healthcare. Right. So, what would you tell a veteran who's sitting on the fence right now about uh, getting health care out of the Dayton VA? That, that's easy. I tell them all the time. I have people in my family who do not even have, I always ask them, do you got a white card? They're like, what? A white card? <laughs> I said, uh, why are you, who is less than 1% of the entire United States population who has raised his, his or her hand, and said, I will defend this nation against enemies, foreign and domestic, whether that cost me my life. I said, and the United States government wants to show you its gratitude 
by caring for you at the Dayton VA and you or the VA period, and you don't want to get it? Well, I, I just haven't gone. I, I, I said, well, 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 why not? And, it's, and I have encouraged people, so many veterans, get down there, get your card. It's, well, I'll give it to somebody who deserves it. Nobody deserves what you did. And so you deserve it. <clears throat> you deserve that care, that love, and what I like out there is there's always somebody to talk to. You know, a, a, a Navy veteran, a Marine veteran, you wear your hat out there. I love going out there and seeing those guys. And then they come up and they, they say something to you about the Air Force, the Army. Um, so uh, please, get on out there. Um, these people want to see you. They want to help you. They will help you. But you must, as my mother would say, uh, Go get that drink of water because I can't make you drink it. Mm -hmm. Well, and and you brought up an interesting point that we often hear. Uh, in fact, we just heard in the last couple of podcasts is that often veterans will say, well, I don't need it, or there's a veteran who's more deserving. Uh, and we have to tell everybody, again, uh, you have to understand the, the VA gets its funding because of enrollees. If you don't enroll, the VA cannot get funding. So actually, if you feel that you don't need that care um, and you enroll and you're not utilizing, you're actually helping to fund the VA by enrolling to help care for those veterans who do need the care. So again, we encourage everyone to uh, consider enrolling, if, if not for yourself or your fellow veterans. But uh, uh, Mark, we want to really thank you for your time today. It was great to hear your story. We love hearing stories like yours and from uh, veterans from around the Ohio region. So again, thank you for, uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for all you uh, can you continue to do as an educator. And thank you for coming in today. You know, Greg, not too long ago, I went to see my primary care physician about some shoulder pain I was suffering from. Yeah, Scott, tell me more. Well, after an x-ray and an MRI, uh, you know, they had found that it had torn a rotator cuff uh, muscle. And fortunately, uh, it was not bad enough that it warranted surgery, uh, but the pain was still unbearable. And my mobility had been severely limited because of the injury. I could not put my arm over my head or behind my back. It, I'm telling you, it was killing me. That's when my doc sent me to receive physical therapy at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I thought, uh, this is going to do me any good? How? I've torn a muscle. How is exercising an injury going to make me feel better? Well, the therapist at the Dayton VA put me to work with stretching and strengthening exercises to put me back on the road to recovery. I didn't know that physical therapy, of all things, uh, could actually help movement restorement and uh, help with the function if you are disabled or injured in a disease. Uh, if you're living with or recovering from an injury, illness, or chronic condition that limits your mobility and independence, the Dayton VA can help. Their physical, occupational, and movement therapists combine therapeutic exercise, consulting, education, and training to help you improve your health and quality of life. Services at the Dayton VA include pain relief and joint mobilization, movement and exercise therapies to improve your strength, endurance, balance, and coordination, mobility assessment and training with wheelchairs, scooters, and walking devices, life skill training and activities to help you maintain the highest level of independence and functionality, aquatic therapy to manage chronic pain, 
and evaluation and treatment for a wide range of medical, orthopedic, psychological, and neurological conditions. These services are available at the Dayton VA Medical Center campus, as well as the Middletown and Springfield C-Box. If you're in pain and ready for treatment, contact your primary care provider today for a referral. You won't be sorry you did. I never needed the VA for anything until I found it difficult on my own. It was getting hard to take care of myself. Then I had a fall, which made it impossible. That's when the Dayton VA stepped up to the plate. I've had the best care anyone could ask for at the Community Living Center. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. To enroll, call 937-268-6511, extension 5336, or visit dayton.va.gov. We want to say thanks again to our special guests for taking time today to share their story. We truly enjoy hearing stories from veterans from across the region and learning more about how they found care through the Dayton VA Medical Center. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind them if they are a veteran, and are not enrolled to enroll with the Veterans Health Administration to receive health care benefits through the Dayton VA Medical Center. It's easy and it doesn't cost a thing. You just need to be a veteran. The simplest way to start enrollment is to call our enrollment and eligibility office at 937-268-6511, extension 4105. They can schedule an appointment for you to come to the Dayton campus or help make an appointment at one of the surrounding community-based outpatient clinics located at Springfield, Richmond, Lima, and Middletown. Again, that number is 937-268-6511, extension 4105. Veterans may also enroll by visiting www.choose.va.gov slash health. While there, you can choose from applying online or by phone or by mail. It's just that simple, really. As I said before, it doesn't cost a thing to apply. So what are you waiting for? Call us today. Or if you know of a veteran who is not enrolled, have them call to start taking advantage of this benefit. If you're a veteran, it's your VA. Sign up today. Join us again for another episode of My VA Dayton with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Our episodes drop the 1st and 15th of each month. I'm Scott Lease with your co-host, Greg Tucker. Thanks again for listening to My VA Dayton.